You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. I received a piece of work from the desk of Hannes van den Berg, who's the co-head of SA Equity and Multi-Asset at 91 in Cape Town, the title of which is, How Much Offshore Is Enough? And then the opening paragraph says the following, The increase in offshore limits has become the greatest talking point for trustees, consultants, pension fund managers, retail investors and fund managers. But greater flexibility also means more responsibility and potentially bigger return volatility. The author of this piece, Hannes, is with me now. Hannes, on the one hand, you must have seen that piece that you quite nicely say, that change of legislation, which was, as you put it, buried in the SA budget review. And you must have thought, well, this is really good news. But then on reflection, you say to yourself, well, with the good news brings some complications. Yes, greetings, Lindsay. You're absolutely right. The increase in offshore limits has placed this question of how much offshore exposure is needed in an overall portfolio right back in the spotlight. I mean, for the last number of years, whether you've engaged with trustees or consultants or, or individual investors, the trend to increase your offshore allowance, your offshore exposure allocation was, was very much front of mind and, and often discussed because of slow South African economic growth, with GDP per capita that's low, political and government instability corruption. Um, so you know, the, the bigger global opportunity set has always been part of the conversation. And now again, people are revisiting how much do I actually need to put offshore? Okay, but in principle, do people say to you and do your clients when they engage with you say, well, this is an opportunity. And because of all the things you mentioned, SA economic growth being sluggish and has been for many, many years, then we should avail ourselves of the 45% facility. Has that been the general mood from, from clients? Yes, I think, Lindsay, to put a bit of a framework around it, when we construct a multi-asset portfolio on behalf of our clients, one would think that 65% in equity is a neutral benchmark, if I can call it that, a neutral position. And with the increased offshore allowance, especially on the equity side, the capability or the ability to increase your exposure to offshore equities and therefore higher growth assets, um, broader sectors, uh, bigger global opportunities, um, we tend to think is the, is the trend going forward. So the mix of equities inside that neutral 65% we tend to think will will be higher on the offshore equity side, and that will potentially come at the expense of some SA equities. On the on the other side of the portfolio, the balance that's left, the thirty five percent, if you if you don't put it all in equities, um, the SA fixed income opportunity set stacks up quite well relative to the rest of the world because of our high interest rates, because of the real returns you can get on the South African fixed income market. So we tend to think that as you have more offshore equities, uh, people might also be a bit more focused on getting their real returns on the SA fixed income side on the, on the rest of the portfolio. I think you sum it up quite nicely with your fast view, as you call it. The second part of which says the following, it's a complex portfolio construction question, which also needs to take into account investment horizon, risk profile, asset and liability matching, and blending of different investment styles and asset classes. It's almost as though when someone becomes rich, they have more choices. And it's, it's almost like that now. Now you've got more choices. Now you really have to work very hard to get the correct blend. Correct. And and then people are trying various ways to get to an answer, this answer of how much offshore is needed. Uh, we, we can take data as back to 1900. We can analyze more than 100 years of data and, and try and solve the answer to the question. We can also just look at the last three decades because in the late 90s, this country went back into the global stage. 
then there was a period from 2000 to 2008 where South African equities did very well, and that was the preferred asset class. And then obviously from since the global financial crisis to, say, 2020, offshore equities unedged would have been your preferred asset class. But through cycles and through these periods, asset class returns have swung at great lengths. So to have offshore equity and a bit of SA fixed income, and then literally the few years afterwards to have SA equity and very very little offshore equity, that's a point we're trying to make is there's no real golden answer across all market cycles and through all different time periods. And then also you've highlighted it. Once, as you get more spoiled for choice, it gets more complicated. Yes. The geographical decision-making, developed markets, US, Europe, Japan versus emerging markets, how much resources do you start off in your portfolio on the local side? How much SA Inc. emerging market exposure do you already have in your portfolio? And then how do you blend that with technology, healthcare, utilities, financials, materials, energy, semiconductors on a global scale. Uh, and that's why we, we believe you can have fantastic top-down views and you can backtest and make capital market assumptions about the future and try and get the optimal asset allocation. But you need to construct the portfolio from the bottom up with the right investment ideas and the right sector exposure. It's not a one-way street anymore, is it? Because look at SA Inc. SA Inc., if it's referenced to, for example, the South African overall index, the All Share, or the Top 40 index, it's actually outperformed many of its international so-called developed world peers. So that sort of lends itself to the view that you've just put forward. Things change from decade to decade and from year to year. Yes, that's it. There's no real single optimal solution. I mean, year-to-date, our South African exchange is down just short of 5%, where global markets are down 15%. But then in this greater offshore exposure, one of the biggest decisions to make is we often call the RAND the rattler. It's one of the most volatile currencies in the world. So therefore, if you just hold offshore cash, the volatility of that offshore cash is as high as holding a South African equity because of the RAND. I mean, the back if you backtest, the volatility of the RAND comes to close to 15%, which is similar to some of the emerging market equity markets. So with this 15% down in global equity markets, the RAND being stronger than what it was six or 12 months ago, that also holds back returns for our clients. So the, the currency management, if you take your portfolio as high as 40 or 45% offshore, that's up to half your portfolio now that will be exposed to one of the most volatile currencies in the world. Although at the moment it's not volatile, but we know that that doesn't last very long. You actually reference the the RAND by saying the following, with greater offshore exposure, managing, in brackets, hedging the RAND, one of the most liquid and volatile currencies in the world, will become a much more material component of decision-making. So it's almost as though you've got to set up a whole new division. I know that you at 91 have the capabilities and already manage the RAND very efficiently, but it's going to become even more important to you, is it not? Correct. You take almost a step back. When exchange controls only allowed us to have 30% offshore, most clients went and they, they just bought offshore equities because, equities because it was a 25 to 30% decision in the portfolio. Going forward, when it goes to 45%, as well as with where market conditions currently have gone, with interest rates globally that have the US 10 years not below 1% anymore. There's trading about 3%. So the other asset classes are starting to look interesting as well. So leveraging off our London colleagues who manage money on a global scale in multi-asset portfolios, yes. they don't only look at equities, they look at fixed income, they look at commodities, they look at property, they look at alternatives. And then as part of that process of managing money on a global scale in different geographies, they've also got a currency management process which they use. And 
we leverage off that process to manage the currency exposure and, and, and the risks that come with it back into South African rands for our clients. So the advantages of having a London office and a very big London office as well, and the symbiosis between the two of you has become even more advantageous given the 45% that we've been talking about. Correct. And to have an integrated approach uh, with a consistent asset allocation process, consistent language that we use across various asset classes and geographies, we, we focus on fundamentals, the price you pay for the valuation and market price behavior. So an integrated bottom-up selection philosophy and process helps us to construct this portfolio from an asset allocation, an asset selection, from a geographical exposure, currency management, and also risk management, because we can see the portfolio all the way down to the single instrument or the single security holdings that we've got in the portfolio and therefore manage the risk on a holistic integrated basis is, is something that we feel we've got an advantage on in managing that for our clients. Do you think what we've been speaking about over the last few minutes, Hannes, means that you are going to shift your portfolios more regularly than you would have done in the past? Yes, I think the fact that we manage it on an integrated holistic approach gives us more nimbleness. We can see how these different asset classes or these different asset selection decisions play off against each other. The fact that we'll have the SA equities as a, as a portion, but the offshore equities as an even greater portion going forward. One has to always evaluate the strength of your local ideas versus your global ideas. And on the fixed income side, similarly, do you decide to invest in South African government bonds or do you decide to invest in offshore fixed income opportunities and potentially hedge that back into South African rand to, to get some of the interest rate differential via the currency hedges? So it, it becomes very technical, but the more nimbleness and the actual day-to-day -day risk management and decision-making we feel gives us that opportunity. You sum it up nicely by saying changing market conditions coupled with significant currency volatility mean that investors should be extremely careful not to hang their hat on a single long-term optimal solution and then allocate assets on a fixed basis. And that's when an active management company like 91 uh, comes to the fore, I think. Maybe you could give us a brief insight as we close this conversation into what your strategy is at the moment. Uh, the optimal solution, as I said earlier on, people try and make capital market assumptions and then decide on a, on a single asset allocation view going forward or they back test data and based on that, they say this is how it blend in the past and then they try and use that for future performance. We believe you have to evaluate based on our philosophy and process the compelling forces of the market, the, the price you pay for the fundamentals that are out there on a day-to-day, month-to-month strategic asset allocation, but also being tactical around it. And as you said, things at the moment are volatile. There's a lot of uncertainty. The balance between bulls and bears at the moment are, are pretty pretty much split down the middle. The risk of a U.S. recession next year, the interest rate hiking cycle we're seeing, the consequences of the war and supply chain disruption, slower China has made us slightly more cautious. So we have gone into more capital preservation more mode than we've gone into growing our assets and growing our clients' assets. So as things stand now, we just think this next quarter or so will still be volatile. And then as China potentially recovers, as the U.S. consumer confirms that it's stronger than what the market expects, and as Europe comes out of the consequences of the Russia-Ukraine war, going into the second half and potentially into 2023, we would like to first evaluate global growth and the risks of a recession before we will go more into growth assets and and try and make money again on behalf of our clients. Hannes, thanks so much for your insight. That's Hannes van den Berg, co-head of SA Equity and Multi-Asset at 91 in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position 
or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer, or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision, and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.